And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a Nate Duncan edition of the Warriors All-82 podcast. Warriors-Memphis, good matchup. But Nate Duncan, we actually did a... Did we, well, no, we probably didn't do a post-game podcast off that Warriors-Memphis playing game. We actually did a pre-game podcast previewing a series that never happened. It's a legendary podcast that is lost deep in my uh, voice memo app. But we get to do a post-game podcast on what might be a, a playoff series in the West. Yeah, it, and it was really interesting. I thought Golden State looked a lot better tonight, particularly after the first quarter when Memphis was just going completely insane on twos away from the rim. Now, they also shot it extremely well in a way that probably is not going to repeat. But it did seem like Steph Curry in particular found more room against this team and against Dylan Brooks than he has in the past. You don't think Gary Payton four for seven from three is sustainable? Jonathan Kaminga with two quick threes off the bench—that doesn't sound sustainable, do you? Uh, per- perhaps not. I mean, it's pretty amazing how many shots GP is able to create, even outside of his threes, just uh, with those cuts along the baseline and his activity level and fast break. I mean, he's got a pretty high usage and pretty high efficiency for a six-three guard. Although I got like Marcus's question to uh Steph at the end was was unbelievable you remember that it was a Monte Ellis reference yeah he's like yeah Steph you know you might remember that uh a couple of six three guards once said here that they couldn't play together and that that was great that actually got Steph to like crack up laughing now of course it was Monte who said that not Steph for for the record but Steph wouldn't um Yes, you could tell that the Warriors have been bothered by the last couple Memphis wins here. Obviously, the playing game sticks with them. Um, and then earlier this season, uh, you know, an overtime loss here was really, I think it was their only loss in their, what, their first, like, 15 games, essentially. Uh, and they, you know, screwed it up down the stretch. They had bad turnovers. And really, you know, it's they've both been overtime losses. The playing game was an overtime loss. And bad turnovers, late games, they feel like they should have won a young you can call them a rising Memphis core. I mean, I don't know how much you, I know, I don't necessarily view them as like some, you know, coming Goliath in the West, but clearly a team that is confident in Chase Center. And I think Draymond particularly admitted he kind of wanted to stomp that out, this like trend of Memphis winning in here uh, and the confidence that has come with that. And, you know, you Dylan Brooks and the way he guards Steph obviously uh, has a lot to do with that. What did you see there? Why do you think that, you know, Steph was able, you know, Steph, who's been slumping, gets tonight has 46 uh, on incredible efficiency. Yeah, well, let's remember Dylan Brooks did not play in the, yeah. the first game. The biggest reason why Memphis is a tough matchup for the Warriors is because of the way that they force turnovers. And the Warriors, when they are at their worst, when they struggle offensively, it almost invariably are high turnover games. And then their half court defense is so good that one of the best defenses of all time relative to the league as of now 
that defense is so good in the half court, but then when you're giving up constant turnovers and the other team is getting out in transition, getting open threes, getting layups, John Morant's a great transition player, uh, that makes it so much more difficult. And so the Warriors, it wasn't, they had their bad turnover moments at times, like in the first quarter, and they had three straight that let Memphis tie it late, which were just three awful turnovers in a row. But largely, they kept that in check enough. And, you know, they all like Kyle Anderson's role was a little bit minimized as well. He's a guy who really causes problems. DeAnthony Melton didn't have nearly the same defensive game as he did the first time around. And so that even with no Wiggins and no pool and Memphis having their entire team available, this is a pretty good win for the Warriors, I would say. Yeah. Uh, because of what you meant. I mean, Steph called it, said they had six of their top nine not available, which I think is being generous to both James Wiseman and Damian Lee. And, you know, the fact that he's calculating Clay Thompson into their top nine, yet we haven't seen him yet. But, uh, I mean, what really matters here, com- you know, compared to the Warriors team we've seen, uh, is the, you know, no Andrew Wiggins, no Jordan Poole. That's in number two, number three leading scorer. That is that is the extra playmaking, scoring, and spacing for Steph Curry in the starting lineup tonight. They go with GPT two, who I wouldn't call him a floor spacer tonight because clearly Memphis was fine funneling the ball to him, but he goes four or seven from three, so he burns that that style of Memphis defense. And then you know they threw Otto Porter into the lineup, which you know he's odd as a three now. But it kind of worked, and obviously he had some shots. Bielitsa, I mentioned, hit a couple threes. But this is going to be a very challenging stretch for Steph coming up because I don't think you know Wiggins and Poole sound like they're definitely not going to be there Christmas, and and then they go Denver, Denver, Utah after that. Um, what have you seen with Curry? Because you know thirty nine percent overall in December coming in, thirty six percent from three. They've mentioned the fatigue that's come with with the uh, record chase and all that. Um, Tonight he breaks out of it, but I just the way defenses are defending him. I know we've talked about this for years, but I think more and more, and you talk to them like defenses are so comfortable now overselling to the max. It's gotten like as bad as possible on a nightly basis now, where it's not just wow, Nick Nurse threw something interesting. It's like oh, every team is going to come in here and just sell out against Steph. Well, I think to the extent that teams sell out against Steph, that's actually good for the Warriors to me because that is going to lead to openings for these more limited offensive players around stuff, particularly with Poole and Wiggins out and Clay not back yet. If they're putting two guys on Steph Curry, that's that to me even more than Steph going off is what the Warriors want for them to really work well. The team where I've been more concerned about Steph personally is the two-point shooting is down. Uh, he's been had more trouble as a finisher when teams are able to force him inside the arc and the teams that are able to switch and make him play one-on-one. Now that's always been the case to some extent, but you know, if you go back to like his real tour de force years in 2016, when he was able to just cook basically any big, I mean, he was like cooking KD and ISOs back then. Right. Like, so he's not capable of doing that anymore. Like he had a couple of those plays tonight, but you know, there was also that play where he just dribbled around for, 20 seconds and couldn't shake Dylan Brooks and had to just throw up a shot at which, the end. Which, by the way, was a great play by him because he was able to hit rim. Otto Porter gets the rebound. They kick it around, and then he actually does go and score at the rim. That was actually uh, one of the plays I'm writing about in a positive sense, but you're correct. Yeah. Um, and so I guess my question to you on that is, I think you're right about the fact that, I mean, clearly Steve Kerr leverages the attention 
that Steph gets into this system that that creates all these slip dunks and open threes and blah blah blah. Um, but along along w- w- with that is they're beating him up off ball. They are w- when they play those kind of defenses, it it wears them down physically. And you look on the other end, the Warriors are now priding themselves this season on a, a number one ranked defense, and a lot of that is Steph Curry, who's having the best defensive season of his career, and he's trying so hard on that end. But you know, a lot of these high usage stars in the league kind of take defense off for, for most of the nights. Steph Curry's not doing that. And I think, you know, yes, he isn't as quick because he is 33, another factor in this as he used to be. But also, I mean, he's just plays such a tiring style. And the fact that these defenses more and more are like baiting him into this like really tiring style where like he's just going to have to, even if it's to be a decoy, he's just scattering around and running around and bumping into bodies the whole time and looking for openings. And I just, you know, it's, it's just it's fatiguing, and I think that's part of his two-point struggles. No, I, I think there's something to that. He's just he's not as athletic uh, as well, and teams are trying to force him off the line. He he would probably. I mean, he's definitely even the ones that he was missing. Like he was missing ones that were pretty good. You know, it's not, like he had a few where he was just getting blocked. But you know, he said that like the record, he was probably trying to take a few more threes than he normally would have to go after the record. And teams were also probably even more locked in on just not specifically not letting him get a three even than they normally would have been. But, you know, I think it's interesting, this idea of, of you know him running around and stuff. I think that's actually less fatiguing than being on the ball because it's not as many explosive movements. It's more just a continuous, it's more of a cardio thing. Whereas when you really have to try to get separation on the ball and beat a guy, that's a maximum effort play. That's, you know, just an explosive play like those are probably the ones that really tire someone like him out a, a little bit more but I, I think this is a, a good you know he, he made his shots tonight I mean that was the biggest thing right that he just he made his shot I think he went 8 of 14 from 3 yeah. uh, 12 of 20 overall and then 12 of 12 from the line um, and, what, and got to, and got to the line obviously got, yeah, too I yeah. mean that was the he got it fouled a couple of times what do you think about the defensive side of that though right because he's really bought into like I'm a sturdy you know, guard in this like unit, this defensive unit that is number one in the league. But you play that hard, that physical defense. He's a, he's become kind of a physical defender. Yeah. Um, that that's might you know in in a hundred game marathon that they believe that they're about to embark on could you know, pay uh, could could tire him out. Well, so, sorry to be such a contrarian, but Ethan Strauss no longer works for your company, so I I bet I have to take over that that role, but. I think actually him being a better defender will ultimately make him have to give less effort on the defensive end because he's just not going to get attacked enough as much, right? Like they're not going to just – teams aren't going to just go after him every single time. We've only really seen, I would say, one team that's done a ton of that. That was the Clippers in the second game of the season, and they had some pretty decent success with that. And I'm sure the Lakers still would, but – as well and also everyone else on this team is just so incredible at help defense too i mean that that's the thing that stuck out to me today was when you saw memphis taking very few shots at the rim and missing a lot of those they took i want to say they ended up like 36 37 floaters uh, some of those are post-ups but some of our floaters and the reason that they're taking those in large part is because the help is always there and the help is early and guys just have such a great understanding on this team of when they can help off of somebody else, when to cover for one another, when to just do a quick switch, you know, on some of these like handoff plays, they'll just switch it really quick between two bigs. And you saw time and time again for Memphis guys would get it in the lane 
someone would come over and help, they would pick up their dribble thinking like, oh, I'm going to have a pass open. And then whoever was forcing them to pick up their dribble would be have long arms and pressuring them and not giving them an opening. And then they would immediately plug up those gaps behind the play over and over again. I mean, the, the way that this team rotates is just incredible. I mean, maybe even uh, as good or better than the way that they were you know, before KD got here. Like, Because the, the other thing that's interesting, sorry to continue on with tangent here, is they don't really switch anymore, like on the ball, right? Like once the, uh, maybe at times they'll do it or they'll set it up where Draymond will be on CP and then they can switch Looney on it and then Draymond will still be on eight and like those things. But they don't just switch every pick yeah, the way yeah, they, they used to. Yeah, they don't do the just like where it's like an amoeba going around the court. Where it's just switch, 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 off, you know, switching yeah. everything. I agree with you. Um, there are 30 defenses in the league and 30 offenses in the league, so 60 units. Would you consider the Warriors defense the league's best unit? Either them or the Jazz offense. The Jazz offense statistically is so much better than the second best. I think they're four points per 100 possessions better, which is that's one of the best marks of all time. And then the jazz above league average, I have one of the best marks of all time right now. But yeah, the Warriors defense, I think is two, two and a half points per 100, depending on who you look at, whether you exclude garbage time or whatnot, better than the second best defense. Yeah. And I've talked about it a little bit lately. Like they don't have bad games. They're just, when they've lost this year, it's always been the offense. Yeah. You thought maybe they were on their way to one of those. But then I looked at the shooting stats after the first quarter. I'm like, oh, or actually, it's really like the first time minutes. And oh yeah, Memphis is, uh, they were 13 of 18 on twos away from the rim. You're like, okay, that's not going to continue. And it just, they, they force teams to miss. Like, they're just, there's always somebody there who's long. They might get into the lane, but it's never going to be an easy shot. There's always, always somebody there rotating and making life difficult. So much of that is Draymond. And, you know, so Draymond had a, uh, sequence tonight where he switches on to John Morant. It's like mid third quarter. Gary Payton, who by the way started and mostly because they wanted him to guard Jaw, uh, <clears throat> kind of lets Payton get past him downhill. Draymond switches on to him, and then Draymond kind of leads Morant under the rim and then is kind of sitting there contesting him. And Gary Payton kind of comes from behind. Draymond thought he should have just. You know, stayed on the switch, been with Jaron Jackson, I believe it was. But instead, he kind of shoves Draymond a little bit in the back, nudges him in the back. Morant jumps back into Draymond. Foul gets called. Draymond is just in Gary Payton's ear for basically two minutes, essentially just berating him about this. Um, mentions that he was probably a little overzealous with Gary postgame. You know, you relook at the play and you're like, yeah, okay, let me look close. Yeah, Gary did give you a slight nudge there. It does not seem like some egregious defensive mistake, but... Um, you know, and then, you know, Draymond and then gets into how much w- what he felt led to that is like Draymond really wanted this win because like he was just yeah. like he didn't want Memphis to ha- continue to have this confidence that they could come into Chase Center and win. And, you know, as you mentioned, as we mentioned, no bad games. And as, as, as you go through all the reasons why the Warriors defense has been so good this season, just a lot of it is Draymond Green. And, and I think both of us correctly question if Draymond had this left in the tank at his age after what we've seen the last couple of seasons, but, but he does. Yeah. And still the short area quickness is still elite. Like the play where Jaron, he blocked a Jaron Jackson jr. Three pointer on one play, another Jaron three pointer because Jaron at the five, right? That's really difficult for a lot of five men to, to guard. And there's another play where he runs Jaron Jackson off the line, knows that Jaron Jackson is going to drive left every single time and just, he ran him off the line and took a charge on him in the same play. I mean, that is so hard to take a charge on a closeout like that. And 
yeah, he's been unbelievable. Just the amount of ground that he's been covering, uh, certainly, you know, well into the defensive player of the year conversation. Um, should we talk a little Kaminga? Sure. You, I mean, you're, you're busting your phone out looking like you got some notes. Do you have some Jonathan Kaminga notes? He hits two threes today. Yeah, the three is looking better. I thought it looked good in, in Toronto also. But, man, I mean, was Memphis's defensive re- or offensive rebound rate like 75% when he was out there? I mean, he just – like he had one play where he tried to – where he boxed out reasonably well. But it was just volleyball on the offensive glass whenever they had – and he play, they played him with Bielitsa. And Bielitsa, he'll, he'll well, try, but, it, like, he, he needs some other guys next to him there as well. Well, it wasn't just – it was it, – I believe the lineup was Chioza, Curry, Moody, Kaminga, Bielitsa. I mean, those are their two worst big, bigger rebounders, Bielitsa and, and Moody, and then Chioza and Steph and Moody, who's like does does not look ready to be in a winning NBA rotation. So I think part of it was the lineup. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. I remember sitting next to you in summer league, and you were like almost cackling at Jonathan Kaminga's rebound. No, I, I I wasn't almost cackling. I I was cackling. Um, it's it's a, it's an issue for him, and it's funny because not funny, but um. You know, you see it when, like, Draymond Green may not – may like, the top five things that Draymond Green loves about this team, among them would be Otto Porter's rebounding ability. He yeah. just every – tonight, he, like, unprompted, he, you know, it's like he's asked about, like, going through adversity during the, the Christmas, uh, you know, or during this COVID outbreak. And he's like, yeah, it's about our depth. And Otto Porter was rebounding tonight. You're like, where, where does Otto Porter rebounding quote come from? But – you know, when he mentions that, he mentions the way Looney rebounds and, and the fact that, you know, when we talk about their defense, you mentioned all the misses they forced. Well, they are a top 10 rebounding team this year when they were bottom 10 last year. It's such a big thing. And their two rookies, Wiseman and Kaminga, as big as they are, as athletic as they are, they just don't really seem to have the rebounding sense yet. And that's a, that's a thing. No, and even like there's another one of those ones where Kaminga just somehow couldn't grab the ball and it just went back to the other team that like there's he did get finally one rebound that was out near the three-point line but even that he reacted incredibly late to and it just happened to bounce right to him so but uh, he's made a let's not be too down on him he's made i think a lot of strides in a lot of areas particularly his individual defense and his individual defensive technique and you know he's been able to guard some pretty good guys one-on-one in the post and he doesn't he's not getting blown by the way he used to and so hopefully this is something that'll come along i think they've done a really good job with him so far especially considering he didn't have a, a camp at all really yeah i think he's benefiting from the mistakes they made with wiseman and 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 the the lack of a plan at times with wiseman the whole throw him you know, into the fire and let's just see what happens. Um, and, and the fact that Wiseman didn't necessarily have to earn minutes last season. Kaminga's really had – he's almost had to, like, overly earn minutes where you're like, man, he's given, you know, nice six-minute stretches the last couple of games. Like, he's not in the rotation tonight. Um, but, uh, you know, tonight was not one of his highlight moments because you didn't – where he's popped the most offensively is really when he's getting downhill a ton. He didn't do much of that tonight. But, again, I like you mentioned, I think – what are we two and a half months into his career? I mean, it's, I think it's the signs have been good. I think so. He just also need, I think needs to get a little bit better understanding of when are the spots that he can do those hard straight line attacks when the defense isn't set. And when is it, you know, he's being selfish there and he should just give the ball up. I think he's, and sometimes he's maybe even being too passive. They ran a play, which I think we're going to see a lot more of, of 
the same play they run with Steph and Draymond, but it's Kaminga, in theory, a really good finisher. Steph screening on the ball for Kaminga and then popping out. He missed, but he ended up missing that, the, the like floater that he generated off of that. Anytime Steph and Kaminga are in the game, within about two minutes, Steph will set a ball screen for Kaminga, yeah. and it's worked. And where it really works is Steph's defender obviously doesn't want to leave Steph, won't leave Steph. And when Steph actually gets a good screen on the guy, he just turns the corner and he's flying downhill. And yeah. you know, if you're if if basically Rudy Gobert's not down there, like you're not coming over to block Kaminga at the rim. And and, and I agree with you. To me, that's not uh, we won't see that as much as a big part of their offense this season because we're not going to see Kaminga. But I think over the next two, three, four seasons, like that could become really devastating. Two other small points: JTA had one of the best two for seven, five turnover games I think that you're ever going to see. He was awesome defensively highlighted by a play where he got like four deflections in a row against the same guy. And just, I can't remember who it was, but he just kept getting it back. And then JT would knock it away again. And then they do the, the loose ball. The guy would get it back again. And finally he knocked it away again. And Moody picked it up and got a fast break layup. That was an awesome sequence. And then uh, I thought JTA had the biggest bucket of the night, maybe other than Peyton three, which was they went into the post to him to set up uh, the, the play where they screen away for Steph to get the shot on the near side out of the post, that wasn't open. And so JTA just went for like a quick spin. I think it was against Melton, who he had the size advantage on, broke that 102 tie, uh, and then GP hit the three-pointer from the corner the next possession that put him up five, and the game was over at that point. I thought I heard somebody chanting for uh, Eastside Oakland above me in the media section, and now (laughs) I know that wasn't Marcus Thompson. That was Nate Duncan chanting that late in the game. Uh, you a couple news newsy notes. Uh, Mike Brown is now in health and safety protocols, joining Damian Lee and Andrew Wiggins and uh, Jordan Poole. Uh, Kenny Atkinson, who's been out the last six to uh, about six weeks or so after he injured, like he was back tonight on the sidelines and he makes his presence felt. He's up basically like he's a, a second head coach half the game. Um, anything else from your professional notes? You know, I've never had a podcast guest come with notes. I like it. Uh, Chioza and Steph, there's just no reason to ever play those guys together. I think, and Kerr realized it in the second half. They're just so small. Chioza just can't do anything inside the arc. And so, like, he, he at least as a score, right? Like, he'll he can run a little pick and roll and, like, attack the basket and pretend like he's going to shoot and maybe kick out. Uh, but he can't take advantage of the openings that Steph creates. And then they're both, they're just too small defensively. So he actually came with Moody over Chioza the second time they deployed that. That was, I think Chioza, Chioza ended up being like negative 11 or so. And they, they need him to just be the backup point guard just with Andre out and like, you know, yeah, and pool out. But other than that, he should not play when Steph is out there. I think the idea is like, oh, we'll give, let Steph work off the ball a little bit more and let someone else dribble a little bit. But like, just let, let JTA do that or or just put the ball in Steph's hands during that time. It doesn't really work very well, I don't think, with Chios and Steph. Anything else on that list of yours? Nah, I think uh, we, we, are all, all? we are all spent here, yeah. Phoenix on Christmas, two Denver games, Utah-Miami. Tough five-game stretch. I'm, you know, no Poole and Wiggins Christmas seems like almost a sure thing. And, you know, I don't even know when either are back. Poole, at this point, uh, last I heard, is still in a Boston hotel room. So it's not yeah. like he's able to necessarily stay in NBA shape, you know, in a Boston hotel room for a week. Um, so, that, you know, it's going to be really challenging for Steph moving forward. They're going to kill Denver, though, in both those games. I don't think those games would be hard. Without Poole and Wiggins? Yeah, I don't think Denver can score on them. 
I think that they do a pretty good job on Jokic, and also I don't think Denver like can deal with Steph defensively at all. I think they're. I mean, unless Steph just like really struggles to shoot the ball in the road game, I think they're going to handle Denver pretty well. Okay, that's a bold prediction. How about Christmas Day? Uh, Phoenix is going to be the favorite. Yeah, yeah, I think they're going to lose that one. Yeah, for sure. All right, Nate, you want to plug anything? Uh, no, just uh, well, I should. No, the answer is yes. I do want to plug something. Uh, we'll be doing all a wrap up of all the Christmas games on Dunked on Prime. That'll be a free pod. So uh, check that out. Thrilling slate of basketball on Christmas Day. All right, uh, we. I will talk to you from Phoenix Christmas. Me and Marcus Thompson will be in Phoenix. I'm gonna force him to do a post game podcast. Hopefully, he comes with Nate or notes just like Nate Duncan did. Yeah, well, hopefully this podcast will actually hear more of them on the actual pod than just doing ad reads because the last Warriors plus minus, I was I was ready to uh, demand a refund. I did not get enough Marcus Thompson on that last pod. Never enough Marcus Thompson. We will talk to you from Phoenix. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.